Welcome back to the Desert Tiger Podcast, and this week on the DTP, Tanner Sear is now homeless in Hawaii. What does that mean? Well, you're going to find out later on the show, but first off, I want to go ahead and thank out everyone who went and checked out episode 60 of the show, which happened to feature the godfather of Canadian hip-hop, that's right, the maestro Fresh West was on the show talking about his latest album, The Champagne Campaign. And of course, if you haven't checked that out, it is in our backlog along with 659 other great interviews that if you haven't gone ahead and checked out, maybe you want to. If you're a new listener, maybe you want to go ahead and hit the follow or subscribe button on whatever service you are listening on. I had a lot of great feedback from my conversation with the maestro, even though we had to do it very quickly. It was a 15-minute, 20-minute conversation. We got a lot of information knocked out with Fresh West himself, the maestro, the godfather of Canadian hip-hop. So I am extremely excited for everyone who sent me some feedback and all the love I got for that episode. After a storm you can weather, past guest Tanner Sear returns to the DTP to discuss how his band has evolved from a solo project into the new group, Homeless in Hawaii. With new experiences, you can find new knowledge, and sometimes even new friends or bandmates. When Tanner last joined us, he was one month away from his first true tour, and in the process of creating his third album, A Storm You Can Weather. Since then, Tanner has managed to tour in support of the album a second time in 2018, which saw his live performance grow from a duo with now homeless in Hawaii guitarist Leonard Menon to a four-piece stage show capable of recreating and enhancing the material Tanner had previously written. A new band, an evolving sound you might even call super, and you'll find out why later on in this conversation, teamed with the same relentless creative passion that Tanner and Homeless in Hawaii are becoming known for. Of course, I could give you the usual introduction and rundown of Tanner Sear, but of course I went ahead and did that on episode 18, which happened to feature Tanner. It was my first episode of 2018, so if you want to hear a little bit more about Tanner and the two albums he released before A Storm You Can Weather, you can go ahead and check out episode 18 in the backlog to hear all about that. Maybe you want to go ahead and check it out before getting the full scoop today about how the band has evolved into Homeless in Hawaii. But of course, until then, you always know that Tanner Sear is going to hold you down. A windless city where angels used to fly Can you picture that? With the braille touch of love, everything was heard And a silent understanding was met That if our thorns don't pierce our skin Our love was dull and meant to end The strength of your grip holds me up So darling, pinch me if I'm dreaming And exercise my demons I promise that I'll hold you down I'll hold you down, 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 down 
Flowers wilt with empty words But a lover's actions are always heard Forget the storm, the clouds will part For us to join in a brand new start That if our thorns don't pierce our skin Our love was dull and meant to end The strength of your grip holds me up so darling, pinch me if I'm dreaming And exercise my demons I promise that I'll hold you down I'll hold you down, 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 down That if our thorns don't pierce your skin was dull and meant to end The strength of your love holds me up So darling, pinch me if I'm dreaming And exercise my demons I promise that I'll hold you down I'll hold you down, 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 down I'll hold you down, 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 down I'll hold you down, 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 down I'll hold you down Hold you down, I'll hold you down, 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 down. 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 The Desert Tiger Podcast. Here we go. Here we go. All right, we are here with Tanner Sear, and he is homeless in Hawaii after a storm that he could weather. How is it going, my buddy? Hey, 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 it's doing really, really good. I'm happy to be back with you. I am super excited to have you back on the show as well. You've had a lot of things that have happened since then, a lot of things that are happening in the near future, and I can't wait to talk about all of it today. Me neither. I can talk about this stuff till the sun goes down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited with a lot of the stuff we're doing musically and I guess like as the new band, Homeless in Hawaii, H-I-H. Yes, yes, it's a new group. When we spoke last year, it was basically you yourself. You had met one of the members of Homeless in Hawaii at the time, but he wasn't even really like a full member. You guys hadn't even taken your full like first tour no yet at that moment not at all yeah no leonard he well like even back in the day i guess like when homeless in hawaii used to be tanner seared not that long ago i guess leonard when he showed up a storm you could weather was done so he was plugged in last minute kind of just like hey do some lead guitars here because like the guy's insane you can show him anything and he can start playing to it and he's like he's that he's got a really good musical mind really good ears yeah when i saw you guys and this is something that when we did the episode last year, we hadn't met each other. I actually saw you guys on tour, and one thing that blew me away was Leonard's playing ability <laughs> because that 
he can shred. I know. I know. I just look at him sometimes on stage. I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm in a band with you. Yeah, I know, because I remember our last conversation, we were talking about how you did most of the rhythm and how Cody was doing some of the leads. Yeah. And then you, you go live and it's just like, man, I'm pretty sure that Leonard has like added things to some of these leads because <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is everywhere. It is crazy and it is melting my mind. <laughs> I think we've taken a few leeways too, especially since like we've gotten used to making music with each other. And I think from a storm you could weather, you look at the way we did it in studio. And then when we went to bring it live, because the, the tour almost came last minute after the album. We kind of realized, oh shit, we actually have to play this stuff live. So we had to revisit it, almost relearn it in different ways and add different parts from like, you have synths in the album that we have to emulate with like phase and all this other crap on guitars live. So we had to like recreate them almost in a live setting, which gives it a more rock and roll vibe, which I think almost developed into the homeless in Hawaii sound that we have now. And Leonard was a huge, huge part of that. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've noticed <laughs> is uh, with the bass is the bass has definitely taken on a lot of that synth sound in your mm-hmm. live presentation as well. And I love 100%. the way that works out with um, Carter is your bassist, correct? Carter Potts would be the drummer. He was the original okay. drummer. But we did okay. start off with Tanner Sear. The original bass, his name is Jared Eigenram. We, we still keep in contact with him. He's still like a good friend of ours here in the University of Lethbridge where we all go. But yeah, yeah no, the idea just... with the bass is just to... I don't like boring bass guitar at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but he uh, he he only left just to go do his own project, right? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's always been more into heavy metal. This is Jared, because now the mm-hmm. bassist is Devin Taylor. But yeah. Jared's always kind of been into his own like heavier music. Um, he's a classical guitarist trained. Like that's his major here. And okay. then right when this school year started back up, he got in a car accident. He had bad wrists previously, so the car accident mm-hmm. helped his wrists. So he had to kind of step away from playing bass. And then going into the school year as a classical guitarist, he had to grow out his nails, which affects the way he can play bass too. Wow. And he's, he's never really had huge aspirations to be a part of like a traveling group because I, I, I like to think with us now, the group we have, I think we're all kind of on the same page. Of like we want to see how far we could take this group. And I think Jared mm-hmm. is more content with playing music as, a fo- as opposed to bringing it to whatever heights you could possibly bring it to yourselves. Well, and it's just it is touring is an entirely different beast altogether, which I'm sure you experienced have be- having released two albums before you had even hit the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it's almost a learning curve too. The, those first few times out. Mm-hmm. So before we spoke last time, you were gearing up to head out on the road with Mostly Wanted. And even after that, you got a second run in Western Canada with the boys in Alonai Walk, which also featured the Storm, the Wall crew. So yes, yes. What, what did the road bring with you? Because at the point, like you, for the first tour, you only had Leonard with you, right? Yeah, it was just... <laughs> Me on an acoustic guitar and then his massive diddlies on top of me with his huge electric guitar. But no, it was fun. I love uh, I love both bands, Mostly Wanted and Alone I Walk. Jared actually in Mostly Wanted is like very funny. He did like a shoey. And I don't know if you know what a shoey is, but it's like at the end of every one of their sets, he would pour a beer in his damn shoe and he would drink it in front of everybody. Because <laughs> like, like I'd net like... 
thinking back on it now, like where I'm at, at now with our group and everything and back in the day doing just the albums with Cody, within the last year and a half is when I first kind of started playing music live. I've never done that before. So it, it all happened very quick and I had to adapt quickly. So watching Jared on that first tour, I kind of took a lot of cues on how to be a front man. I, like I just took the things he liked and kind of did it myself. And then the second time with Alone I Walked, like Pascal and Frankie are the, the most friendly people you could ever meet. You could just spend the rest of your days with them and they'll be happy to. But oh, like, yes, absolutely. Love I learned them. Yeah. I learned more things watching like Frankie up on stage. So I kind of started taking cues from him and then I'd combine that with the things I saw from Jared. And I'd just be watching all these front men as we went through these cities and stuff and kind of develop my own way to approach the stage, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and both of them definitely have different approaches, whereas the Mostly Wanted crew are always out for a good time, and Jared is definitely <laughs> the embodiment of that idea. And it's not to say that Alone I Walk isn't out to have a good time. It's just they're, the way that they are trying to come across with their presentation and their stage presence is entirely different. And what you can draw from both of those lead men is entirely different. 100%. Yeah, no, it's it was good two dynamics that I think that helped me a bit on both sides of where to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. So once you come off the road, did you right away were you and Leonard looking for other members for the group within the University of Lethbridge? Or how did you end up meeting Carter and everything else? Like, how did the full band come together? So yeah, this would be right after the Mostly Wanted run. Because we, uh, with A Stormy Could Weather, we released Nightclub Dancing Devotee as the first single. And we're like, mm-hmm. okay, cool, we'll jump on this thing with Mostly Wanted that Cody helped set up. Like Cody McManus of Storm the Wall and Bellevue. And then uh, we got off that, we came back, and we're just kind of like focusing on finishing the record. We kind of like talked about like, oh, in the future, we'll go out and maybe join something with like the, the bands they normally put out there. And then the Alone I Walk thing started coming up. And literally like a month-ish, maybe two months before like we left, we talked to Carter. We're like, hey, can you play drums in this thing we're about to do? And he's like, yeah, sure. He was previously in a band called, uh, what were they called? They were called Sideshow, and they recently rebranded as Reckless Renegade. So he does that with one of his hometown friends from Medicine Hat. So Carter just jumped on immediately as drums. We're like, cool, we got drums. And then Jared, we knew, was this really kind of like versatile musician, and we were in a few classes with him. And the guy looks like Thor. Like, you could just, like, he's perfect for the stage. Like, perfect image. So we went up to him. We're like, hey, do you think you could play bass? Like, we saw you playing guitar. He's like, sure. He checked out a few things. He actually came to one of our shows. Leonard and I were playing the same kind of acoustic electric thing. And Jared was there. And then I came and sat with a table with Jared after. I'm like, hey, what do you think of that? And we chatted a bit. He's like, that's pretty cool. And the next day, he told me he learned nightclub dancing devotee on bass because I kind of mentioned we were looking for a bassist. And from there, I was like, oh, like he showed initiative. I just sent him every one of the songs that were unfinished. I sent him videos of me playing the bass and like, here's all the bass lines. Can you be the bassist? And that's Mm -hmm. basically how Jared fell into the like the band there. Okay, so you guys kind of had to rush the release of a storm you can weather with the Alone I Walk Wander Tour coming out, though, did you not? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. I knew the album was done. It was the mastering that we kind of rushed for the Mm -hmm. the tour. And then uh, the band itself almost rushed into it. But I think it worked out in more or less as a band way. I know we eventually remastered A Stormy Could Weather. But Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the band, it came together and worked out pretty well, I think, with all things considered. (laughs) 
Well, for only a month or two to prepare and put everything together, when I saw you guys play at, I think it was Fernando's Pub in Kelowna, you guys yeah. were very tight. Thank you very much. We we put a lot of effort and practice. Like, I know at least I do. I take it very seriously. Like, if we're gonna be going out and playing for people, like especially mm -hmm. these songs that I've written, I want it to be done right, and that's well, the idea of us. Mm -hmm. And for someone who started as a rhythm musician to trust the rhythm parts to somebody who, to two musicians who had only just joined the group for two months, they handled their parts extremely well. Yeah, yeah, I, it was leap of faith. We didn't really have another choice. <laughs> so at what point did you decide to remaster a storm you can weather was that like directly after you came off the road or what made you um, decide that you wanted to put a new coat of paint on the album yeah um it kind of a, gradually happened like i immediately almost wanted to redo it because it took us like four rounds of mastering before the first one even came out because cody had left for the the first half of the alone i walked to her and like a his headphones were stolen at some point. So like he was, we were, we were forced together to like, kind of like back and forth with like these notes to each other. Like, Oh, let's, this should change, blah, blah, blah. So we went through four rounds of mastering. Cause it was like, had to be done almost in like in very closet style almost until we got some, okay, this is what we have to put out. Like this is the last minute thing. So we put the album out. And then after the tour, I started getting in touch with Devin Taylor, who now like does the bass and everything. And like, he's a wicked, like uh engineer like a music producer and all this stuff he's like literally genius so eventually i kind of started hinting i'm like hey would you want to remaster this past album we did at some point and then like uh we talked about it but we we're more focused on on like the few songs we were starting to do that became homeless in hawaii mm -hmm. and then i put up a, a video on my personal instagram back from like when we recorded a stormy good weather and it's the it's a clip of uh the bridge from best friends on a stormy good weather and Devin had saw that on Instagram. He's like, oh, this is actually really good. Because previously he was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, Tanner has some good songs, some bad songs. And then like he saw that and he went back and listened to the record. And then I think the next day he sent me a message. He's like, hey, I remastered all of a Stormy Good Weather. And I think ever since then is when Devin came into the fold like 100%. Mm -hmm. So like, had he joined the band at that point or was he just like outside producer? At that point, he was outside producer. Jared was like, my intentions were for Jared to still be the bassist because it all happened immediately after tour. I'd like literally to drive back from tour. We were coming from Revelstoke and then I had to pick up my car to come back to Lethbridge. And on the drive back to Lethbridge, I'm messaging Devin Taylor because I had previously known him at the U of L. He's kind of like a, he's like a secret, like he's like a secret here. He kind of lives under a rock, but he's like brilliant. And I kind of started getting whisperings of that. So I messaged this guy. I'm like, hey, dude, like, I know you kind of do like these like extravagant, like he does like electronic music and he's also into heavy metal, but he's like, that's these really cool sounds that I've always heard from. I'm like, they'd be cool. Like, cause I always want to change my sound. Like, let's put these together. And I'm messaging him like, hey, we do this. We're kind of punk pop right now. But like, would you want to work together and see what we could create? And that was the day like the tour ended. I was driving back to Lethbridge. And then maybe a week later, I drove back up to Calgary and we tracked what became the first song for what Homeless in Hawaii will be releasing in about a year. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So how did tour go for the 
Tanner Seer group, I mean, because it wasn't homeless in Hawaii yet, considering that it had just been thrown together, you and Leonard were just a two-piece beforehand. How did the touring as a four-piece go together? How was being on the road together as a group for the first time? It actually went very smoothly. Like, uh, I think we put a lot of pre-planning into it and, like, kind of the idea of what we should expect from this city, that city, and the other. And Alone I Walk helped a great deal. I think there were, like, huge leaders in, like, terms of the sense of the tour and everything. So we just kind of followed their lead. I mean, like, uh, Carter has uh, family in Kelowna that we got to stay with. And then uh, Jared had friends in Vancouver that we got to stay with. So it just happened really smoothly and, like, really organically. I think that, like, just the whole stretch of those 10... 10 or so days, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it went very smoothly. I was very happy with it. Oh, that's good to hear. So once you guys come back, do you start writing together as a group right away? <laughs> was like, so, because beforehand you had written the majority of the material by yourself with some outside writing help and with some friends. But now that you have a full group of musicians how does the dynamic of writing the songs change um in some ways it has changed but it's still just me mostly um right before tour we were playing around with these riffs and stuff because we were getting comfortable as a group and a lot of that that was when jared was a part of the group and we were going to aim for a more rock and roll sound and i think a lot of that ended up being put into this song that I developed for Homeless in Hawaii that's like this 10-minute song. So it's almost like we took what was about to become Tanner Seer and threw it all in this one last song that's going to be on the record. But then I kind of started writing more stuff on piano and bass. And I've really, ever since, well, this would be coming back from tour, but the first day of tour in Regina, we wrote a song and performed it that night, like as a group. I had an idea, and it was like hours before the show. And we're like, hey, let's just write a song real quick. And it turned out to be a really good song. So we wrote it that day, played it that day, the first day of tour, as our first show as a band. And now that song is going to be the opening track on the Homeless in Hawaii record. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was hilarious. I remember looking out at like this, basically our first crowd of like not so many people being like, hey, we wrote this this morning. We're ready to play it. You ready? And there's a few people looking around like, oh, shit, what's about to happen? (laughs) (laughs) yeah but the song went down super well wow so where did you guys write it like did you guys write it inside regina did you write it on the drive it was we wrote it in moose jaw because uh there what are their names i'm sorry if i forgot your name and you're listening but they're friends of cody's and alone i walks that we got to stay at just the night before the show so we're kind of chilling there oh um you know them, oh, eh? Oh my goodness, I've played shows with them before, and I like sh- I feel bad. I'm in a Snapchat I group wouldn't. with these guys, and they like take selfies, taking shits, and send it to each other. It's pretty awesome, though. Like I wouldn't trade it, but like I, is I feel it like I wouldn't. Tr- Cassidy, his name is Cassidy. I know one of the Cassidy Vizer. I want to believe. Thank you for letting us stay at your house. Mm-hmm. And if I got the name wrong, I'm sorry again. Yeah. Um, is it the boys in Highland? Hmm. I honestly wouldn't be able to tell you if which group it was. Uh, I know them more as like the people. They're kind of like, oh, these are the guys that own this house. They had a ton of video game stuff, which was cool. Okay, I know that they've toured together in the past before, so. Yeah. Maybe it was the Highland boys. If it's not, maybe it was somebody else. Either way, good on them for allowing you to 
crash and yeah it was awesome write a tune i mean (laughs) yeah yeah that was pretty funny i'm always gonna remember that especially now that it's gonna be on the record but then like in terms of like the songwriting change like once it got back and like i had the summer to myself i and like i think like last time we talked to i'm telling you is like uh playing live is something that i want to like use to inspire me to write different ways and now that I've seen what works live, especially pulling from material, like I can definitely see our strengths and I built on that. And now I'm building these like grooves and like I've really changed the way I've approached the songwriting thing. And I think that's why these songs are so different and definitely stand apart from what was Tanner Sierra and now is Homeless in Hawaii. Hmm. Okay, There's definitely more energy. Awesome. And I think like uh, bringing Leonard into the loop far more there is a few tunes on here that we all wrote as a group, kind of just jamming, but it's still mm-hmm. mostly just me bringing the skeleton of an idea. And then I think Devin and I would have the most part in the songwriting because I bring the ideas and then Devin really filters them like, okay, this part's dog shit, but this part's pretty cool. Like he definitely makes my songs far better. So I'd say it's mm-hmm. a 50-50 thing between me and him. I bring the ideas and then he brings them to life. Okay. So how did Devin end up transitioning from being outside producer and becoming full-time bassist? The day Jared texted me that he was in a car crash, I didn't know how severe it was because it was like super late at night and like he didn't give too much details. But like from how I read it, I was like, oh, this might not be a good thing. And we were just getting close with Devin. I just shot him a text message like, hey, on the off chance something happens, do you think you could be a bassist eventually? And Devin's like, nah, I don't see why not. Like, Devin is really good at guitar. Like, you've seen Leonard play guitar, but Devin is a, like can do things that Leonard can't. Like, it, I can't even explain. The words don't exist, but he's really good. And it's kind of mm-hmm. a shame that he's playing bass. But then a couple of weeks later, Jared made it like, he's like, okay, I think I'm going to need to focus on myself. And then that's when I like sat Devin down like, hey, this is like a here and now thing. You in, yes or no. And I think at that point, he was kind of like, we were a few songs deep in what was going to be the next Tanner Seer record. And he kind of had an idea of like how serious we were taking it and like how professional we like to approach just our music. I think he was just in at that point. Hmm. So he <coughs> had the idea, but as like a guitarist does he bring things to the songwriting processes as a guitarist that maybe you and leonard don't uh yeah he'll definitely will approach a part and be like hey devin pull out the seven strings because <laughs> like he he can sh- like he does all like the sweet shreds on like heavy metal and stuff mm-hmm. so like we'll be like oh let's do something here it won't necessarily be heavy metal but we'll use his strengths as like this crazy guitarist and kind of like do what a synth would do on like a seven string or like just a layer of texture in the song but I know our goal of ours is at some point for Devin not to be the bassist. Devin should be a third guitarist or the other guitarist at some point that we're working towards because we're playing around with the ideas of me playing piano and stuff live now. And oh, really? A, yeah, we want to bring a guitar live. Like, yeah, and the, but that's going to be more for Homeless and Hawaii stuff once we get like all our shit in gear. But mm. at some point, Devin won't be the bassist, and we want him on the guitar. That's like, I have tons of faith in him as a guitarist. Okay, because I was going to ask if you were going to transition to the bass role having been a bassist originally. I Yeah, no, I would love to play the bass. Ultimately, I would love to. It's just the bass lines that I write for our music, they're like groovy and stuff. And I think just in general, it's hard for me to play the bass the way I like to play bass and then sing. 
it's extremely challenging. A hundred percent. It's like it's like learning another language. It's I don't know. It's it doesn't work for me at least. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird to think about it because you would think that playing bass and playing guitar and being able to sing at the same time would be the same dynamic, but it's yeah. a whole other beast in a different way. Like it just plays differently. Like kudos to Getty Lee. Now that I like I've kind of tried to attempt it. Like I did play bass for one of our tour shows in Revelstoke because Jared had to fly home early. And it didn't go poorly. But like just experiencing that in a live setting, like I utterly respect Getty Lee for being able to play the bass lines that he does and then sing the way he does. Good for that guy. Oh, to perform on both extremes and then also his abilities on the synth. And yeah, yeah. everything else that he brings to the live show is the amount of practice and dedication and diligence that Geddy Lee had to put forward, especially when he's not the one writing the bulk of the song's lyrics, mm-hmm. is that's that's dedication to the craft. That's that's sheer talent. I, like I'm all I can say is well done, Geddy Lee. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've I've always been a huge Getty Lee fan to the point where like I would name my Madden like superstar like single player would always be like Getty Lee because he's always been a personal hero of mine. But like, really, yeah. At no point do I think I will be able to sing and play at the level that that man does. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm more of a Freddie Mercury fan. I've become quite a fanatic of him even before the the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. I was a Queen fan, but like. As like I guess they've kind of blown back into popularity this year. I've kind of delved back more into Queen and like I mm-hmm. yeah, I think I admire Freddie as much as you do Getty. Yes, definitely. And I don't know, as a bassist, I feel like I've definitely begun to admire a lot more of the stage presence type people because that was always like my role in playing live and um something that I've released on the podcast is and that will be released soon as I'm going to be playing live music again soon. And Ooh. it's, yeah, I'm excited. So I've, I've got some things to speak about actually once we go off air. So Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Tell me it all. Spill the tea. Yes, yes. Um, right now I can't spill those deep beans, but soon, soon in April, those beans will be spilled in Ooh, full detail. I'm so excited. I'm, oh, so am I. I am so excited, but it's definitely it is. Over time, I've become a lot more appreciative of stage presence bassists. Um, Nikki Six, yeah, um, Dee Dee, um, Vernie from Overkill, and like bassists who just concentrate on having a really thick sound, and like mm-hmm. they don't have to be the lead vocalist; they're okay with being like the side vocalist and doing that. But, like their main part of being on the stage is just like you're gonna hear me. And you're going to acknowledge that the bass is an instrument and God damn it, you're going to love it. That's exactly how I approach writing my bass lines. Like, I don't want anyone to be like, who's that fourth guy? <laughs> Why is he playing a weird four string guitar? Mm-hmm. At least for the non-music lovers. That's how I like to think people look at the bass. Because I think at one time I did. But I like utterly love the bass. It's my favorite instrument. Like, there's so much of me that wants to be just that dude, like you're saying, on stage, bouncing around to the rhythm, playing the four string. I get jealous watching like Jared or like Devin do their thing, and I'm stuck playing my four chords. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it is it, a lot of music has where the bassist has become a secondary option in the background, and then there's some bands where that member is so vital to the songwriting process, even if it is a Nikki Six where maybe when they started out he isn't the greatest rhythm man you've ever seen i mean once they get around to like the heroin diaries soundtrack and he's doing the 6 a.m stuff some yeah. of the bass lines that he had on that were absolutely freaking incredible yeah, but like i love 6 that, yeah oh man and like before that it was a lot of following mick mars's rhythms but like as a songwriter incredible talent and when he's on stage like he commands your presence even though vince neal is there even though mcmars is there even though freaking tommy goddamn lee is there with a rolling drum set you still know that nikki six is there that's the part of like uh, a thing i I learned is like you it's not just about playing the music right or perfect live it's about like engaging with the people there like in terms of energy and like you're bringing a show to them it's like if they want to listen to your music and like be absent-minded, they can do that in their car, but they're coming to your show for a little something extra, right? Like they oh. know the songs if they do know the songs or if they don't, they still want that little extra. It's almost like that hook, like, come on in, like, let's go. Like it's a show that I look, I want it. Like it needs to be entertainment in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand like with specific bands, like when you're getting to things that are extremely progressive and have really insane time signatures, like, yes, moving around is a little bit harder. Yeah. But one thing like I've always said is like when I promote shows, like when I'm trying to like give advice to other bands or like even when I'm working in bands myself is it's if you can't move to your own music, why is anybody else going to? A hundred percent. That's like the, the another little golden part of Leonard. That dude is like made of rubber. He will bounce around on the stage next to me. I have to like, I'll go jam with him, but I got to make sure he doesn't hit me in the head with his guitar on the off chance. He'll get on his knees, shred the best solo ever, and then pop right back up. So like, I'm so happy I have that right next to me on stage to kind of build that energy and help me kind of push me further as the front man. So it's, yeah, no, that's a huge part of Leonard and why he's still around. Really good part. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing too is, as a frontman, you want to be able. Well, even as not even just a frontman, as a musician, you want to be able to feed off the energy that the crowd gives you, and you want them to be able to do the same. And within that dynamic, you want to be able to feed off of each other in the band because sometimes the crowd isn't going to give you what you need to get started, so you're going to need each other. So having somebody who's willing to be that firecracker no matter what the situation is can just help your confidence yeah a hundred percent and like you're saying it's like it that wins over the audiences that don't really know you and i've experienced maybe a couple times now where it's like you get near like the last third of a set and then that's when people start kind of buying in they're like oh shit these guys are playing this is really cool and like and that's when the crowd starts to build but at that point you're like oh, fuck there's only like how much of the set left if this could have happened earlier in the set we could have made this a wild night but that happens on the off chance but you learn from that and you kind of see like which songs that typically happens on so i've kind of like narrowed that down like okay it's these kind of things that will get people's attention and like because mm-hmm. like i think coming back around to the way i've changed my music writing and something i've been joking about with the boys recently is like homeless in hawaii is like a much larger in your face but mature sound 
but it's very much like a Michael Bay movie. Like <laughs> I'm really approaching approaching it with this flash and bangs and groove and bass and like there's something for everybody. You got guitar for the older people. You got like a like a nice groove for just like literally anyone's like inherent like brain could be like, oh, this is cool. I can move my body to this. It's mm-hmm. it's an assault on the senses is how I'm approaching it. And that's what I kind of learned from those situations where you got that one song that pulls the people in and then off to the races you go. Because once you have the audience, you can do whatever you want. And that's what I've learned. Because like once I get them, like that's when we're good. Like you can say whatever you want. People are laughing. It's a stand-up routine. And then you're hitting them with good music. Maybe you're throwing one good cover in between your stuff, which elevates your own material. And then you're up. Like those are my favorite times. But it's like, yeah, you got to earn it first. And like that's the hard part. Oh, definitely. And that's just it is when you're coming new, it's nobody is going to give you something without earning it. And you have to give them something that's going to catch them. And especially like with your guys' songwriting and especially like yourself, you cover a lot of bases when it comes to different sounds and different signatures, even when it comes to like just within one song where... Mm it'll cover a lot of bases where it could catch somebody and then maybe like, oh, they got me here, so I'm willing to come along for the ride for this next little bit. Like, where yeah. else is he willing to go? Like, I like uh, something that always, like, I've seen in other bands or when we do it, I love when an artist plants, like, one of those soft songs or those soft build-up songs in the right spot of a set. Like, I feel like it makes those soft songs better or the heavy song that comes next even better if you just time it up right because like you never want to go soft song okay kind of up song then another soft song you need to sandwich them between a lot of gaps but when they when they're laid right in the set oh it's magic that's my favorite stuff Mm -hmm. well and it's exactly like structuring an album where if you bring somebody on a really fast high maybe you probably don't want to just continue hitting with them with that right away and mm-hmm. then like if you hit them with like a nice slowdown and you catch them with another like a palate cleanser you don't want to hit them with that again because maybe somebody's gonna go take a nap like <laughs> you need those those breathers almost but like keep the energy going is what we're trying to do like we still have like the breathers going <clears throat> but I think one of our most like <clears throat> upbeat songs is this hand plucked guitar piece that just has the bass going on the floor with these oscillating synths. It sounds like weird Coldplay on acid, but it's maybe one of my favorite songs on our current record that will be coming out. But I like I like that's what I'm talking about. It's these breathers, but you got to approach them differently now. You can't just be like, okay, here's the ballad. <laughs> mm-hmm. It needs to be here's the ballad and here's the reasons why you should care now. Is how I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. Especially with um, a group like yourself, where you like to do a lot of storytelling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Storytelling's taking a huge step up this time around. And I definitely want to know all the details, exactly what concept you guys are considering for the next album that you guys have coming up. But first off, I want to take a break to take a moment to talk to the listeners here at the Desert Tiger Podcast. That's right, we like, in the podcast world, we love to break the fourth wall and acknowledge you guys, the listeners here on the show. And I just wanna, I just wanna ask you guys a question. Do you happen to know the uh, doctor statistics on getting yourself a Desert Tiger t-shirt? Because I've heard that a Desert Tiger t-shirt bought a day keeps the dick pill sponsors away. That's right, every time that you guys 
pick up a Desert Tiger t-shirt, it allows me to tell terrible sponsors like gambling websites, like silly blue pills, and all these other hack job idiots that we don't want them because we have a great, great listening audience that loves to support the show on their own. And plus, I, I try and tell them that we actually have like a solid like 40% female listener base for the show. And they're still just like, no, 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 take our blue pills. And it's like, no, no, we ain't going to do that because we have a killer audience. I don't know what rumors you have heard about us. But hot chicken, tell me what you're missing. Maybe it's a Desert Tiger t-shirt, which you can get over at DesertTigerEntertainment.MyShopify.com or by hitting us up at any of our social media. I swear I'm going to get a better domain name soon. This song is called Rumor of Us.
the Desert Tiger Podcast. You specifically have come up with a theme for this album, a story. Would you like to delve into that a little bit? Yeah, this is for the Homeless in Hawaii record, right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's a huge concept. And actually, I, I want to credit my friend's girlfriend, Sophie, because she's a psychology major. I, I don't know how much this has to do with psychology, but like I was just kind of like venting about something or ranting about something. She's like, oh, you have the fear of missing out. And like, as, I'm like, what's that? She's like, oh, it's FOMO. I'm like, immediately my brain is like, ah, oh, that's marketable. <laughs> so I stole this idea. <laughs> But I've, I've applied this like this fear of missing out. I just love the way it sounds. This it can be a metaphor for so many things. I just that's it became this concept. And like I'm excited for you to one day speak with uh, the rest of the band, Carter, Leonard, and like uh, Devin, because they'll tell you I took a 10-page manuscript to them, maybe in October. I was t- like Leonard will tell you I'm like preparing him like Hey, this is gonna be crazy. But I kind of wrote a script to our next album, and like I had like I can show you this document. I can email it to you. I wrote up this thing one night. It's like 10 pages long. I'm explaining, like, I'm writing these paragraphs. Like, this metaphor should be this. I'm writing song names that haven't even been written as songs yet. I'm like, this should go here to emphasize this. And, like, it was like the the track list originally looked like a script itself because I'm using these grandiose metaphors of movies and specifically Marvel movies because I like to think, like, no one's ever done what they've done. They've, like, done a, a unique twist on storytelling. So I want to take what they've done and bring that to music before someone else does it. So mm-hmm. I made this huge thing and I'm like explaining like, oh, and then the, the cover should do this. And like, and then I just brought it to them at the studio one day. And I just like, boys, just read this. I'm going to be back in like 20 minutes. I'm telling you now I'm not crazy, but just trust what's in this pamphlet. Basically, I'm giving you. And then <laughs> they read it and Leonard, I met with Leonard in like the room over. I'm like, hey, what do you think? He's like, I think this is really fucking crazy, but I think it's going to work. <laughs> And then from there, it just like, I think I got his trust completely. And when I gave him that thing, he's like, oh, okay, Tanner's like for real about this whole fear of missing out thing. Cause it goes deep in the album in many different ways. <clears throat> well, and that's something that a lot of people are speaking about today is the fear of missing out. And that's a conversation that I've had with a lot of individuals where that a lot of youth today seem to have this fear of missing out. And mm-hmm. one thing that I've accredited it to is that, well, we live in a world where there's so many solutions now. And before it was, well, you get a job and you have this career and maybe on the off chance, something will go your way and you'll be able to have your own thing. And like now we live in a social media age where like so much like There's so much possibility at your hands for control for what you can do. There's so much possibility for what you can achieve. And yet at the same time, there's so many distractions. Oh, yes, 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 100%. But at the same time, the the fear almost comes from like these distractions are almost part of life. So am I missing life to have a different kind of life? So it's like approaching that like sometimes those distractions are those things that give you these really great stories in life and like maybe you're like, oh, I can't do this thing with my friends because I have to do this other thing for this. Mm-hmm. But that's that missing out. Like, what if I'm missing like a really cool part of what could be my history? Mm-hmm. What could have happened had I gone and done this exactly. instead of that? A hundred percent. And it's those decisions that like you sit there and then like, because like anxiety is inherently built into like, I guess the that statement, the fear of missing out and like the the theme itself. So it's like this anxieties and like, is as you become an adult and your independence grows in yourself, you have to start making these decisions faster and more efficiently and appropriately. 
for not just mm-hmm. yourself, but like the, your immediate friends and relationships and stuff. So that's a struggle, I think. And I think it's extremely relatable. I, I think it's like hasn't been quite put into words for some people, but I think it's just these feelings that everyone goes through. And I think mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to put in this album, like something to just like it's almost therapeutic. I think what we're going to be putting out, like just this kind of like transition, because I have another metaphor and it's like, I like the whole Marvel thing. It's like the it's about becoming a superhero. The metaphor is laid out in like a, an origin story. So you start off as just your man as you are as a child with your adolescent vices and like your partying and stuff. But slowly as you grow up, you, you, you need to develop this, like you, you need to respect yourself more and find love within yourself and focus on yourself because you can't just look for validation from other people. And I think that's too in the music, right? And like, I'm just writing songs for me now. I, I think lastly, I used to think more like, Oh, would people like if this song did this, but it's like more just about becoming yourself and becoming a good person too. I think that's something some people forget. It's like, okay, yeah. You always hear those statements like, okay, focus on yourself, like grow yourself, develop yourself. But I think what's lost nowadays is being a good person or being the hero to your own story. Cause it's so easy to fall into the trap of being a bad person and pretending you're good. Cause I think everyone's mm-hmm. kind of done that. I've definitely been a horrible person at some parts of my life, but it's the idea of recognizing that and then becoming through adversity. And like, definitely it's hard decisions to like, mature and grow but like it's about becoming that good person i think and that's Mm -hmm. the like i don't want to miss out on a good life of being a good person that's loved and cherished that's the part there like i don't Mm -hmm. want to die hated basically (laughs) and so you gotta be good yes definitely and it is difficult because it like you grow up and you don't have a lot of responsibilities and you don't have a lot of other things and like to look at it from a superhero standpoint, especially from the fear of missing out, is the responsibilities of a superhero that are self-imposed at first are incredibly huge. And then mm-hmm. those outside influences become even bigger where now it's everyone else is relying on you. And you look at it so much in like not even like Marvel and other things where it's like when superman dies and it's like where is superman and it's like we become so reliant on this own individual that we don't even have the strength to find this courage within ourselves to try and improve the world it's just like we're looking for that outside person and like even superman begins to become influenced by everyone else's opinions because even he himself is like he can hear them all and it's just like it's incredibly damning because it's so easy to take the wrong decision and sometimes when you're in the heat of the moment you don't know that that wrong decision is that wrong decision just like batman where in trying to do the right thing batman has created so many of his own villains through mistakes that he never intended to make a hundred percent but like that's i think it's in the name too that people forget batman superman they're just people Mm-hmm. that like that have these responsibilities like you said imposed on themselves but that's the glory of it and i think like it's funny because actually the opening of fear of missing out is called i'm just a man and it's like it's like we're building like okay like yeah it's like batman is bruce wayne but bruce wayne can be batman like he's batman but he's also just the man himself it's like mm-hmm. i don't think it's easy like i know it's all fiction and stuff but you look at these characters i don't think it's easy for them to be as good and, and like stoic i guess as they are Mm -hmm. i think it's probably very taxing (laughs) 
Well, yeah, and that's one thing that I really enjoy with some of the heroes out there is you look at a Carol Danvers where, like, a Captain Marvel where, like, the 2014 run for her where she was going through, like, severe bouts of depression and everything (laughs) else. And it's just it is, like, because, like, she couldn't use her powers fully and she had no idea what's going on and, like, she couldn't control it. And it's like, it's not her fault, but she feels so responsible for everyone else's safety that she is like beating herself up inside and destroying herself. And it's like, even though she is a superhero, she is still completely like she is a human being and she can have those pitfalls that every other single human being has. And even like for Superman, Yes, he is an alien species, but as an alien species, he still has emotions. He still has a personality. Yeah. And he still has those pitfalls. Like, as the alien species, I guess they owe nothing to us, but they still bring this good side to us. They like they, this protection, too. And speaking of Captain Marvel, I thought the, the recent movie was just amazing. Like, I know it's oh. been getting some subpar reviews, but I thought it was so good. Very good. But yeah, the goodness mm-hmm. that these, like, people in general should be able to pull from this and, like, mm-hmm. be good people. Yes, and like, oh, please continue. Oh, no, no, go, go. I'm curious what you have to add. Okay, and I was going to say, like, a lot of people are giving Captain Marvel, like, subpar reviews, but, like, if you're somebody who understands the character of Captain Marvel and, like, her history and how she was basically just created as one of those love interests of another hero and was just thrown into the story and then like she became her own thing and became strong and they changed her backstory in the film just like so that she became even stronger as an individual yeah yeah it it was good story writing (laughs) and that's why i'm stealing it (laughs) i'm stealing all of marvel secrets like at the Oh, no, no, that's not spoilers. It's funny to call this spoilers, but like at the end of this fear of missing out record with Homeless in Hawaii, at the very end, like at the like the last song is clocking in at ten minutes and one second right now. But I want to add something at the very end where I want an acapella piece. I want our end credit scene. I want the end credit scene, and just like at the end of all those movies, where it's like Iron Man will, will return in this movie or Thanos will return in Endgame. All this crap. I want at the end of our record to have a huge acapella thing just right in your ears being like homeless in Hawaii will return. Like we're straight like stealing Marvel's formula. <laughs> and I don't but, even care. <laughs> but that's that's fantastic though, right? Because yeah. it's just even then it like even like Pokemon used to use that where it's just like we will return next Tuesday or like next week on Pokemon. It's just like And they would, like, give you a different thing. But, like, Marvel went with, like, an entirely different style about it where it's, like, rather than giving you, like, a few small clips about it, it's, like, here's this small hint into the story. And, like, you guys can sit here and you can nitpick it. And, like, you can go crazy trying to figure it out for the next year while we just sit here and make movies. A hundred percent. And I think the music industry needs to start looking at the the rest of the entertainment industry more because even well let's look at the local scene for example like local scenes in general you'll have like different acts and kind of like the same genres but i think i see a lot of bands well i don't want to say a lot but i've seen some bands it's like they develop their thing and it happens to fit in a groove that's already established and so it's easy to kind of just go with the the set way of like okay if you want success to a certain point in this thing these are the kind of things you need to do and it's kind of this easy little path that you can do 
but like I want to bring something different and change it up to like because I don't just want to be like oh cool this band's like from Alberta more or less I want to be like that band's from Canada I mean these are huge goals we're talking about now like huge theoreticals but the mm-hmm. idea comes from like if you look at the entertainment is like look at Netflix 10 years ago TV and such was far more popular I think it was, it was 10 years ago well, there's then, people laughing at Netflix 10 years ago. Exactly, exactly. Now look at Netflix now. That's the point. It's like they, they've released TV shows. They're like, here's a whole season. Go have fun. Instead of being like this like network, being like, hey, we need to stretch out this episode weekly for these commercials here and there. So I was like, fuck that. Here's everything you wanted from this show. Come back next year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, because like at that point, it's almost like they're treating, I think it almost like people might be perceiving it backwards because I think they're, they were doing it the way music used to be done. Like, Hey, here's a record and like, go do your thing. So it's like these seasons are albums. And then once it's out and consumed, like people consume these shows in a day and album, the albums are consumed in an hour. But then you have these fans, like where are these fanatics coming from? Like, where are these huge fandoms coming from? If the material they're pulling their fandom from is only like one day of their year. So it got me thinking like, okay, when they're not consuming your product in terms of music or entertainment as the example, they must be thinking about you in some way Mm -hmm. or another. So they're either thinking about the band members, they might be invested in your personal lives, or there's a mythology in the music or like mythology behind the entertainment that you can constantly think about. So with these metaphors and these grandiose themes and stuff that I want to pack into this, I want to treat it like, okay, here's a large piece of content that's going to keep you thinking and you can work with it. You can develop your own thoughts on it. Like this fear of missing out. What are your fears? What can you apply that to you in your life? Like, are you afraid of going to apply for that job? Are you afraid of like committing to this relationship? It's something that mm-hmm. these people can apply to and look at from so many different angles. So even when they're not listening to our music, I want them to hear the word FOMO or the weird like fear of missing out. Or even just like think about like, oh, what would homeless in Hawaii think of this situation? Or like, I want to treat it like a fandom, like a, like a show. Because it's not just a collection of music. It might be 50 minutes of material or whatever it is. But they're not listening to that 50 minutes every day or like the whole album every day. They might listen to a few songs here or there. They might go months without listening to it. But if you want success, at least in my opinion, they need to always be thinking about you in some way or hearing from you in some way. So it's more than the music. That's what I'm approaching. So I want to skip this whole TV show side of the music industry and go straight to the next Netflix version. Where it's just mm-hmm. you own your shit and you basically tell them like here's it like this is let's go mm-hmm. and i think that's the way the music industry might be going especially if you look at muse recently with their interconnected music videos that was brilliant i think that's very ingenious of them oh definitely and it creates a theme and like there's been a lot of other people who have done that too like danko jones where he had a running theme for three of his music videos on one of his albums like I want to say it was four albums ago i can't quite remember the name of it but yeah. like he had like lemmy involved with it and he had like elijah wood and like he just had like a bunch of like he had this running theme and like there was an actual story involved to it so it's yeah. like it actually like had you attached to like okay like i've already heard like what the next single is if, if i've heard this album but it's just like i want to know what this next video is yeah because, like where's like, the story going <laughs> where is this leading me to and that's something that i find is like the artist industry because like tv and film like got to a point where like they were asking for like 24 and 26 episode seasons and they would give you half of a season 
mm-hmm. and then make you wait another three months to give you the other half of the season that also included the finale. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, they're like, these are coming out weekly. So it's like, yeah, I don't no, know where all this time has been going for them. Mm-hmm. And it's just it is like, and yet at that whole time, like you have to constantly keep people engaged and you have to like somehow continue to like keep them thinking about your show and what's going on with it. And like somehow Netflix has continued to do that where it's like they will drop an entire series in one day and like somehow you will go out and you will see one thing that reminds you of that and people will go and crush that. And it's just like there's people out there who like a friend will reference the office to them and like and it's like the office isn't even a netflix show but like some people will go and watch that season not even just that episode that season that contained that quote from the office yeah yeah that's the fans it's that's the Mm -hmm. fanatic mind and i like i think i'm a fan of many things so i think i like it's i think a lot of people are so it's easy to look at it like that it's like Mm -hmm. Let's theoretically say you release a song tomorrow and it's a really good song. How are you going to get people to listen to it? Well, you have to try and engage them somehow because you can just release the song and you can put it out on Spotify and you can put it out on YouTube and everything else. But unless you try and engage them in some way or catch their attention, how are they going to find it? A hundred percent. But I think there's a double maybe... I got to add to that question because now the point is we got people listening to your song, close friends and family, a few people might share it. We got people listening to this song and it's a good song. This is all theoretical stuff and it's a really good song. doesn't matter if it's a good song. Like I think even if Bohemian Rhapsody was released today by like some local band, no one would give two shits. But Oh, absolutely. But why? It's still an amazing song. Don't get me wrong. I think Bohemian Rhapsody is like one of the best songs ever written. It's a masterpiece mm-hmm. musically and just in many other senses. But the point is, <laughs> People hear your song, friends and stuff. They're like, cool. They listen to it once or twice. What brings them back? Why should they even come back? Mm-hmm. And it can't be the reason because it's a good song. It, you need more than that now. It can't just be like, why? well, they should come back. I have a good song. No, it's like it needs to be beyond that. Give them a reason to come back. Tell them to come back. Demand them to come back. But it well, needs to be in a like an artistic way. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Good songs have have existed for centuries, and you look at the 1990s and how many bands became one-hit wonders and didn't manage to keep fan bases engaged. A hundred percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like uh, there's numerous groups that just fell off the edge, and like some of them are coming back and doing doing like freaking deja vu tours with like each other and like yeah. And, like, it's hype and, like, people are having fun with it, but half these people still don't know 80% of the songs that that group released when they listened to them back in the day when they listened to them. Yeah, but I think it's just, like, the trap. Like, obviously, we're guilty of it. I've been guilty of it. And I'm, I, I think the whole idea is for me to try and learn a new way to do it. But, like, mm-hmm. I love everyone that I've come across with all these great bands. you got, like, so many talented people out there. And mm-hmm. I think we all share them on our news feeds, but how often do we see the same post? Hey, here's our new song debuting here, blah, blah, blah. It's all the same shit over and over again. Not the music itself. The music is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their sound. It's amazing. But like, no matter what, everything looks the same. And I think there's a formula there that needs to be broken, especially in terms of being a low level act. Mm-hmm. And if and you're trying to push through that, you need to push through that hard and aggressively. And the you need... need- 
You need something that catches people's attention. Have you watched The Dirt yet? I did. I've watched it twice now. <laughs> Fantastic. So, like, yeah, yeah, Nikki yeah. Six, what he's saying is, like, we need something that, like, catches these kids' attention because they're yeah. use yeah, to yeah, what's yeah. happening. They've become stale to what's happening in this environment. So, like, if we're going to be playing club shows, we need to be, like, blowing their freaking mind with something that they've never seen in a club show. And that's it. It's like, I love a lot of the bands in our scene, and I'm not trying to talk shit on anyone. Me neither, how, me neither. And how many of them have you seen with, like, the same music video where it's, like, the lead singer is walking down the street, and he's just talking along with the song. Yes. And, and there's no real, like driving connecting story theme to this and then like you shoot to the band playing in a random house together or they're outside together just playing in a random spot yeah 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 even we're guilty of it in our recent music video but it's like <coughs> it's like trying to like adapt all that like even if like the music video itself can't like you get so much of your storytelling out in there at least in the album you can have this rich depth of like interconnectivity but like with the Nikki Six thing, like I swear on my life, I was saying that stuff to Leonard and them back when I was giving them that pamphlet I told you about. Like I swear. Mm -hmm. So like seeing that movie is like, oh, it was very validating for me. I was like, nice. I'm glad to see someone that I kind of looked up to in my childhood saying mm -hmm. things that I now say myself. Especially I, I well, was a huge Nikki Six fan. Like Heroin Diaries is a great book. Oh, amazing book. Great album. And the 100%. emotions that it drives out of you, like both of them are freaking incredible because it's just honest. Yeah. And honesty is key, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I love how that's ever, like the one thing that everybody's shooting on the dirt for is like, it's too honest. And it's like, well, what did you expect? <laughs> I think like, it could have been honest, more honest. Like it was oh, completely it, it, honest, but I wanted like a six episode series. Give me more. Oh man. And that's just it. And like, and some people are like, oh, well they brushed over like certain things. And it's like, man, they only did a m hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. They and for what they crammed into an hour and 45 minutes, they could have stretched out much further. Not too shabby. I would say, I would love to see that as a series or maybe like, I like to see them revisit it with the same actors. Like I even thought machine gun Kelly was a great Tommy Lee. <laughs> like, man, I didn't even recognize that it was machine gun Kelly until like, near the end when they're having the fight with Vince when he's got like the odd hairdo and he's wearing the bandana and his head's like partly shaved and it's just like okay like now I recognize that that's Machine Gun Kelly like yeah. wow well, did you hear the new song Motley Crue put out with him the dirt yeah the dirt like the song itself that's actually a pretty good song it is it's super catchy yeah, Machine Gun Kelly fits I think I he does. They found a way to make the dynamic work, and that's something that the group has always been able to do, and that's something, like, with Queen as well, mm -hmm. is, like, no matter what sound that they were trying to approach, they found a way to make it work, and they found a way to go after that, because, like, one thing I love about, like, Queen and one thing I love about, like, Motley, like, there's some parts about, like, Motley where, like, back in the day, like, people would... would throw them into the metal genre and like some people like after a while would throw them into hair metal once like home sweet home comes around and like nowadays people like call them hard rock but like queen queen is like covered so many things and like in the 90s and the 2000s everybody got stuck in like this is the genre that we're supposed to be and this is our sound and it's just yeah. it is like the dynamic is like why not chase whatever dream you want because like look at a band like queen where they were able to create so many different singles out of there's rock operas there's crowd 
friggin' sing-alongs. Yeah. Like, we are the champions, which are played, like, at almost every single hockey game you've ever been to. Like, that's, they covered so many bases. It's this, that's the shit I love. And recently, it's been a pet peeve of mine because I, I've sent, like, every time I get a song that's close to a listenable state, I'll, like, send it out to a few close people, kind of like a tester, be like, okay, what do people think of this? And my one, like, I got, like, people who are kind of higher up, like, close people that are, like, kind of, like, in the industry a little bit. And, like, I'll send them something. And I'll be like, oh, this is good here, there, there. But I've, from a few people, I've always gotten the same comments. I'm like, oh, this stuff is, like, not cohesive. Or it's like, this is different from that last thing. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's the fucking point. No one wants the same shit over and over and over again. Especially if the new stuff is better than the last stuff. You well, need to and evolve that's... and change or constantly mm-hmm. create. That's why Queen stuck around. That's why Motley Crue stuck around. The idea is to embrace the change and work with it mm-hmm. and go even crazier. Like Muse changes every album too, and that's why they're huge. That's the point. Oh, the, they sound entirely different from what they were back in the day. And back in the day, like maybe they weren't as big in the American market, but they were still really big in Europe. And it's like now they're fucking mega epic huge. Yeah. <laughs> Or like Panic at the Disco, their new like Brendan Urie is a genius. His stuff is amazing, especially their most recent record, "Pray for the Wicked." Like this huge, like kind of like nostalgic horns, like and Frank Sinatra type shit. But you look at Death of a Bachelor, it's definitely a different album. And like mm-hmm. if you just look at Panic at the Disco, I know it's like Brendan Urie now, but you put their whole discography on shuffle, you're hitting random shit left, right, and center, and no one blinks an eye. So that's why I know, at least to myself, like I don't care what other people say, I know like Mm -hmm. if I write these songs that don't quite fit together, it doesn't matter in the end. It's just putting out these good songs. And that's why I'm looking at bands like Panic! and Disco and like those bands Mm -hmm. you said and Queen and all this. Like, It's okay to like put your crazy shit out there. You don't have to have this like whole overarching sound. You should have an overarching theme. I think that's where I'm coming back to in the entertainment uh, aspect mm-hmm. but you're in terms of music do something else stop doing the same shit that's what i'm gonna tell everyone i meet from now on do something else I'm tired of well, hearing the same stuff mm-hmm. and it also comes back to how do you keep people engaged because once again in the marvel universe there are how many films in and guardians of the galaxy is different from iron man which is different from captain marvel and like the way that they're shot and the way that they're presented and even the way that they're all brought together is done in different ways, yet it all melds 100%. in this nice little universe. That's actually an amazing example. Yeah, think of it. Let's like you look at the Winter Soldier political thriller. Uh, then you got Guardians of the Galaxy, space comedy, Star Wars. But yet these characters are in the same movie. I never even thought of it that way. That's a brilliant example. Like that's basically the idea of eclectic music and collections of albums. And like this is this, this is that, but it works. Well, that's it, is had they turned out the exact same formula 22 times, who would care right now? Well, that'd be James Bond. You'd have your small collection of people like, I like this. But yeah, no, actually, yeah, another great point. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's why it works, actually. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I can't believe I've been blind to that fact. Yeah, the Marvel Universe works because of its differences, and that should be applied to music. Again, yes, that's 100%. And that's something that, like, the Bond Universe even had to admit, too, because, Uh like, with Daniel Craig... Is like, all right, judo chops are no longer allowed because nobody believes it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I think many bands should pull from even what we're saying right now. I think that's brilliant. And I think we've been, I think Homeless in Hawaii at least has definitely grabbed on to these ideals and we're holding on tightly because 
I, I mean, you've heard a couple of things here or there from what we've been working on, but it's, I think I can confidently say no one sounds like this right now. Oh my, um, like, honestly, I showed one of the guys that I work with last night because I told him that I was going to be talking with you tonight and he hadn't heard of you. And I was like, well, this is what he's working on right now. And he's like, okay, this is like a hit. Thank you. That what you showed him faded, right? Yeah. And he's yeah, like, this yeah. is an absolute hit. And he was like, yeah. And then like the guy that we work with from the front end, like our server ended up coming back and like right away he's moving his head and he's like, who is this? That's homeless in Hawaii, man. Like, yeah, exactly. And I was like, this isn't even out, bro. <laughs> and like, like, and like, no, I appreciate that so much. I'm so glad to hear that reception too, because like even myself, like for the first time in a long time, I think I'm making the record. I was always meant to or wanted to and faded itself like such a good song. But I think that's maybe in the top five best ones. And I'm like, so like every time I'm in the studio with the guys and I'm hearing back some of the things we're doing, it literally like, it's like an out of body experience. Like, nah, this isn't us. Like, like this isn't me. It's like, I'm hearing stuff coming to the speakers. Like this is better muse than muse, or this is better Billy town. It's like, I'm hearing all the things I grew up with finally come out in my music in our own way though it's definitely very unique but i'm Mm -hmm. very confident in this stuff and like hearing you speak about it like that too like faded at least we refer to faded as that that song has big dick energy but like (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah Yeah. oh yeah yeah and i'm excited to release that one but even like the crown which is going to be the first single that we're going to kind of release i think mid may might be the ideal spot that we're going to drop it completely different from faded but at same same Mm -hmm. levels like same energy it's right up there and i think that song specifically as soon as people start hearing that first single be like yes this is a band this is a different band and this is a different sound and a unique sound in a way but I'm so happy to hear that about Faded because Faded, we've been working on that song since July. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're taking like our time with this stuff, getting every little bit perfect. Like I'm like, I'm, this is a really good album and I can confidently yeah. say that. Yeah, if you guys are waiting to release it for next year, I can only presume that you guys are trying to put the best um, coat of ink and coloring that you can, giving it the comic book reference. Oh yeah, and like even the mix, I think that you have a faded the day after we redid the verses, like the vocals, and then the bridge we added a whole other like a bunch of guitar stuff that's really cool. Devin played the guitar on that actually with the seven string Strandberg, really nice guitar. Things like light as a feather, but beautiful and like yeah. But the point is, yeah, I'm so happy yeah. with this stuff. I'm so so very happy. All the themes and stuff aside, just the music itself is really good. I'm like I can really say that like it's really good. I think. Well, I can't wait for the first single to drop possibly in May and for what sounds like a very solid year planned rollout after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to get us touring again. We wanted to tour this summer, but I think we're going to postpone those plans till when it's a more appropriate time for us to get out there because we really should finish this record because we're taking our time. Fair enough. Well, sometimes you need to do what you need to do. Yeah, 100%. You can't rush certain things. Then you end up remastering an album. Yeah, exactly. I think I think I've learned my lessons from the the past albums. Those, <laughs> it's really good to kind of know what we're doing now, or like at least have the luxury to be like, okay, we're gonna sit here for hours and work on this one specific sound, or like let's build a beat, or like it's cool stuff. Like I want to work with people too and get like some other artists featuring on stuff eventually. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to see what the future brings. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Tanner. No, thank you very much. Thank you so much. I appreciate talking with you all the time. And I, I, I want to see you blow up. 
If I can see you blow up, I will feel so happy to have my name attached to you. It'd be so fun. Well, let's ride to the top of the mountain together. That's how I want. That's how I want it to happen. Yeah, hundred percent. And then you got to tell me about this this thing about you playing music again. All right, we will do as soon as we stop recording. Once again, thank you, my man. Thank you very much. And with that, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode 62. Tanner Sear is now homeless in Hawaii. Now that you know that he actually isn't, and it's just the name of his new band, maybe you guys are going to go check out some of the old Tanner Sear albums while you're waiting for the new Homeless in Hawaii album to drop. New single coming out probably in May. I mean, I'm super stoked to hear the tales of a superhero suffering from FOMO, and I've, like we discussed in this episode, I've actually heard one or two of these tracks, and it's a friggin' hit. I can't wait for you guys to hear the new Homeless in Hawaii. It is freaking amazing. Once again, thank you guys for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard today, maybe you want to go ahead and share this episode on your social media with your friends, with your family, with whoever you think might enjoy the show. All right, next week, next Thursday on the show, I'm going to have the man D.O. That's right, D.O. Gibson is going to be joining me on the show to discuss his upcoming album, Second Home. And we're also going to be talking about his stage-driven program in which he goes to different schools and does some motivational speaking, does a little bit of rapping. And we're going to jump all into the deep, deep details of D.O.'s career. He is the man. We're going to get into it next week here on the Desert Tiger Podcast, that being Thursday, April the 11th of 2019. And until then, I will see you later. Have yourself a beautiful day. Whoop, whoop.